Welcome to Mission Connect, a podcast brought to you by Passion to Reach Ministries, designed to equip you to connect with God's mission for your life. I'm Emily James, your host, here with co-host, Passion to Reach's founder and director, Pastor Fanu. Hey, Pastor Fanu, how are you? I'm doing great, Emily, and excited for another Mission Connect podcast. Yes, we have a special guest on today that we will introduce shortly, but why don't you uh, just talk to our listeners a little bit about um, the Missional Academy, talk about it, and then we're going to share a little special promotion going on. But first of all, what is the Missional Academy? Well, Missional.academy, Emily, and by the way, that is the web address. It's Missional, uh, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-A-L dot Academy, uh, is really the online school uh, for Passion to Reach Ministries. And our vision there is to be able to have courses available for people that really want to go deeper in their faith and also in practical experience when it comes to living on mission. Uh, we started off focusing on a few leadership lessons. We actually have, I think, about seven or eight on right now. We have a couple more that we're going to uh, put online in the next uh, couple of weeks. And uh, so it's really uh, an equipping center for people. So friends, if you have a passion, especially at this point on the academy, we've got some powerful uh, leadership lessons. You know, it talks about marketplace missions. We talk about, uh, you know, engaging a, a passionate ministry team. We talk about uh, discovering your call, activating your purpose. So there's some really powerful courses on there that are all fully online, uh, delivered online, and you get to answer the quizzes online. And I believe it's a rich experience for anyone that wants to develop in their leadership ability as they want to influence the world around them. And so it's almost Easter, actually. So we are celebrating Jesus's death and resurrection. And so what is the promotion that we're giving out right now for this season? I guess a little Easter present, if you will, for uh, the listeners. That's right. We don't have bunnies or eggs. (laughs) We have a deal on Academy, And it's that anyone that emails us from now until April 4th, so midnight April 4th, if you send an email to info at passiontoreach.com. That's I-N-F-O at passiontoreach.com. Just saying, I want the Missional Academy deal. Then we will give you one course of your choosing for free. Wow. The best way to do this would be to go to missional.academy, check out the courses we have, and then send us an email saying, this is the course I would like to have for free. So this is, I think it's about a 25 to $30 value and you get it absolutely free. And it's really our way of saying, thank you for being a listener of this podcast and uh, to invest into your life and your leadership. Awesome. That's wonderful. So make sure to send that email to info at passiontreach.com and take part in that uh, free gift. And a happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday weekend, whatever you call it. We want to wish all our listeners a happy Easter. And we just pray that this would be a wonderful uh, time for you with your family. And make sure to invite people out to church. That's right. It's a great opportunity to see people come to faith in Christ. In fact, they say, Emily, that Easter is uh, bigger than Christmas when it comes to new people being open to coming to church. So Good Friday and Easter Sunday are great opportunities to invite your friends that don't know Christ yet.
Awesome. Well, let's bring on our special guest. We have a very special guest on our podcast today. She's got an incredible story and testimony. A lot of times when we hear about the word mission, we traditionally think uh, leaving this country and going to another one. Well, today our guest did exactly that out of a passion and desire to seek God's mission for our life. So we're going to welcome Cheryl Walker to the show. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. Cheryl, it is so good to have you on the podcast today, and we're excited to share your story with the world. And I know uh, so many of our listeners are going to be encouraged today. So, Thank Cheryl, you so is much the, for having me. Cheryl is the executive director of Moana Villages out in the Congo in Africa. So, Cheryl, why don't you tell some of our listeners a bit of your journey, just uh, the moment that you came to faith in Christ and kind of how you discovered or had this longing in you to, uh, to help people in another country and kind of take us on that journey. Okay. Well, I think it was just planted in my heart since I was a kid or since I was conceived. Uh, God had a plan for my life, definitely. And um, as a teenager, when someone would ask me, what do you want to do? When you grow up, I'd say, oh, I want to change the world. I want to be an activist. I want to Africa. I want to help people in Africa. I want to become a doctor with Doctors Without Borders. I had all these ambitions, but always to do with that type of thing. And I, you know, as a kid, even I'd sit and watch World Vision things on TV and I'd just cry. I'd sit right close to the TV and just want to be there and want to help those kids, you know. So, um but then, of course, I had, uh, you know, I wasn't walking with the Lord as a teenager. I did a lot of stuff. I, I grew up as a Christian in a Christian home, and then I just really rebelled. And then at the age of 18, I got pregnant, and that's when God started to draw my heart, started to speak to me. And I was opening the Bible again. I was kind of surprised. I said, wow, I, this is something I was totally rebelling against. Now I'm opening the Bible, and I'm actually feeling like this is how God's leading me. And, um, and then when Emmanuel, my oldest, he's 22 now, he was five months old. I was at a bus stop and I saw this flyer for some kind of meeting at this church for like a three day revival meeting or something. And I just decided to go. And, uh, that's, and I went forward and I gave my life to Jesus. So I was 19 at the time. And then, so from that point, how did you become someone who was a single young mom to now you are uh, married, six children, and leading this organization um, in Congo really to uh, be out of that desire even before uh, you gave your life again to Christ to uh, help women and orphans in another country? How did that, from that point at 19 years old to kind of that when you started that organization, how did that really come about? No, it's an interesting question. I mean, it makes me realize how great God is. <laughs> if he can, he can do that. Really, he can do anything. Um, well, I, I just really plunged myself into the Word. When I first became a Christian, I was like a hundred percent all in, and I just, I threw everything away. I mean, I started fresh. I didn't have any more phone numbers or my old clothes. I mean, I started completely fresh. I wanted to have a new life, you know. And uh, it's amazing. My husband was attracted to me, actually, the way I would dress and everything. <laughs> when I met him, I would wear, like, these terrible, frumpy, long, you know, skirts. And 
you know, I was just speaking. I just, like, God was my husband. All I wanted to do was just, like, be in his presence all the time. I spent tons of time in worship and prayer, and I went through a whole deliverance process and healing. And I just went to every, you know, conference or whatever I could find, you know. So I think that was the, the foundation of being able to hear from God, be used by God, be willing to follow his will, you know. And then um, I was going to this church, and uh, that's when I, I met Lombel, my husband. And he was, you know, he was involved in the church and everything. And I went to this Bible study that he was leading. And I went with my baby, you know, who was already about one year old at that time. And, and it just, you know, I, I think the fact that God drew me to him, a Congolese person, it was all part of the plan, too, of what he had put in my heart since I was little for Africa and um, yeah and then there was a whole breaking process too that got me to this point of having a successful ministry so what were some of those things that you had to go through like what what was that at what point was it like okay we're going to uh, leave kind of the comfortable life of Canada and we're going to pack up our stuff and move across the country like what was that kind of moment where you were like yes this is the direction God's calling us to well it's interesting because that happened twice and the first time wasn't really because it was a clear you know, calling moment. You know, it was more, uh, it was an opportunity. My husband got a job in the Congo. I was, you know, I would, oh, I'd always wanted to go. I was excited. I said, life is short. People would say, oh, you've never been. You should prepare better. And I said, no, I mean, I can't. It's too expensive. I'm not going to go there just to live for there, there for a couple of weeks. That won't even give me an idea. So I said, we just have no choice. Let's go for it. And so he left to this job and we had just built this new house. You know, I spent probably more time, choo- more time choosing the bricks and everything for the house than I lived in it, you know, and uh, put it up on the market. I had to sell it by myself because we could not afford to pay a commission to an agent. And, well, you so know, guys really helped. Canada, you were selling. Yeah, we had, yeah, yeah. Because when we first got married, we had bought a duplex and then we, we sold it and bought, and we're building this house, you know? So then he gets this opportunity. So that kind of threw things mm. up in the air. But we managed to sell it just and just to get enough money in order to pay our plane tickets and our container. So this 40-foot container was outside of my house, put everything we own into it. I actually had a car accident that day and put the broken car into the container because there was no time to fix it you know and that's how this crazy journey started and you know eight weeks later the containers finally like I'm there a week later or a day later I don't remember but my container was there like eight weeks later and you know that whole like so much suffering that year it was the most uncomfortable year I can imagine that I ever would have to go through and uh, so we're there with our three boys and, uh, you know, life was really, really tough. I got malaria right away. So did my two-year-old. And it was just like one thing after the other. That year was, you could say, a disaster. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. We were robbed. We were, you know, it was just the worst year ever. And after a few months, I'm just so fed up. I'm pregnant with our fourth. I'm ready to kill my husband. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> you need to get me out of here. 
can't mm-hmm. like now I can't mm-hmm. stay here. I'm going crazy. I'm going to die. You know, it was kind of like that. Although when I look back, I I'm amazed that we actually started two small groups while we were there. Um, got a whole church to start small groups and we gave them the teachings for the small groups for, I think two years after that, we would send them every week for this, for all the small groups they started at that church and they're still doing small groups now. And that was so long ago. And we also were able to save a baby who almost died, you know? So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a wasted year for those reasons. And also because that was a needed breaking. It was so needed. I had to go through that loss, you know, to leave everything I had just brought behind, you know, to lose all the money that we had that we'd accumulated over the last five years of marriage in, you know, in these two houses that we had already bought at such a young age and this kind of worldly success and to say, oh, you know, it's all gone. So we go back with bags, you know, even sold our suitcases, you know, we come back with bags and living with my mom, I'm pregnant. I'm looking at, oh, I need to hurry up and get a job because I need hours so I can go on maternity leave. So I need 610 hours or something. And so I'm, he's living at my mom's and I'm taking the bus and going to work in Montreal and living at my uncle's, you know, it was just like this terrible situation. Our first car was a hundred bucks, you know, which could only drive me to the bus stop because it wouldn't go more than 30 kilometers an hour because there was no, the transmission was shot and, and there was no muffler, you know, it was just the most crazy thing. And I'm like, oh, my head is spinning and I'm saying, God, what is the plan here? You know? And God was, he really used that whole experience when I look back it's so miraculous how I was I mean for one thing I was the loneliest person for some reason you go away for a year you come back and where are all the friends that I used to you know where are my small group ladies and all these people and it's strange I thought they changed but I guess it was me who changed and we were a bit different now you know I had different priorities and I remember one day I was sitting on my bed talking to Lambert and I said, you know, I was crying. And I said, you know, for the first time in my life, I feel that God has forgotten me. Mm. It was just like this strong feeling that I was so alone and that he wasn't, he just forgot about me. And uh, I go to work the next day and I was doing this terrible customer service job where people were calling in like every second, you know, it was just nonstop call center. And this woman calls and she, you know, I, I helped her. I finished the call. Then, uh, uh, maybe a few hours later, I get a call in my ear and this woman says, can I speak to Cheryl? I'm thinking this is a call center. You can't ask who you speak to. I said, this is Cheryl. She goes, remember we spoke a few hours ago. You helped me. I said, yeah. She says, uh, after I got off the phone with you, I prayed for you and the Lord told me something. I want to share it with you. And I said, oh my gosh, really? And she said, yeah. He said, I have not forgotten about you. You know? Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like this beginning of you know, my healing, I think, for from what I had gone through and trying to search for what it was all for. And it wasn't for nothing. And I even wrote in a journal a few months after, about nine months after I came back, and I read it, like, a few years ago. I'm like, wow, you know, I wrote on the first page, I don't know why I went through what I went through, God, but I know you have a purpose for me in the Congo. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't lost, you know, like, whatever you lose is gain. And that really became true yeah how long were you there that first time 
One year, exactly. One year, okay. But the process was started maybe six or seven months after we got there to come back <laughs> because right. after six months, I was done. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And yeah. so you came back and so you, you've gone through this process. So, so it, it, it almost sounds like when I look at where you are today and I hear the story of how you first went to the Congo, it seems almost accidental that you know, you, you discovered your calling and that that would be the nation that God would call you to serve. It didn't, it doesn't seem like it was sort of, there was this amazing five year strategic plan on how you identified the Congo and why it was the right place to start, uh, you know, this orphanage and ministry and all of that. And I say that because Cheryl, I think a lot of times people from the outside, when they look at you, in fact, when I saw your business card and I heard a little bit about your ministry and, you know, that's the assumption, right? The assumption Mm -hmm. is there was some master plan that these people, this couple came up with and they're just killing it now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the reality is you you know you you sort of stumble into things when it comes yeah. to fulfilling your mission like you have a sense mm-hmm. but not really the specific mm-hmm. of where yeah. what and how and even the when mm-hmm. uh is the right mm-hmm. timing um for that i mean you know again it, it's it's almost funny now i suppose but you know that was the country but that wasn't the time Right. And so many times people are like, no, I'm not doing that again because I was there. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. that's not the season to start Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was the season to be broken and to uh, Mm -hmm. allow God to rebuild you uh, the way Mm -hmm. he needs to so you can really do what he's called you to do. So if someone's in that phase, imagine you're the caller calling back and saying, hey, I have a word for you. Um, and obviously she didn't know everything you were going through, right? But if you were to speak to somebody that you know is going through that phase of life where they've tried something, hasn't quite worked out, they feel lost, they don't know what the next step looks like, what would you say to them? I would just say to be patient and let let the whole story unfold. God is not, you know, God is in it. He's in all of the suffering, all of the loss. And there's a purpose in it. And I, I mean, I really know that firsthand. I wouldn't take anything away. I mean, I still, it still hurts when I think back of some of the things that my kids went through or that I went through. It was a really a year full of suffering, but I'm okay with it because there was such a, an amazing purpose. And when I look at where we are now, we would not be here if it wasn't for that. Wow. So suffering definitely has a very, very meaningful purpose. Mm-hmm. And you can't do something big without it, I don't think. Yeah. You know, I was just reading last night the scripture where it talks about our confident trust in the Lord and patiently enduring. And I was like, wow, you know, specifically they, you know, in that scripture, it says patiently endure. And there's a sense of endurance. And, and really when we step out in faith, there's a patience that's required for our endurance mm-hmm. sometimes. And kind of that, mm-hmm. um, when we step out, as soon as things go wrong, or maybe what seem wrong or seem like trials, we can uh, step back and say, okay, this isn't God. 
But sometimes it's a matter of really building that patient endurance and that confident trust that though Mm -hmm. this is what it looks like now, God you have a greater purpose in it. And so it's it's incredible to kind of hear where you're at now and to hear kind of the background story. And so how long is that from that year to where you are now? How long has this been? Uh, we came back in 2005. And so... 13 years. And we started, yeah, we started Moana as a charity in 2010. So five years later. So things, you know, it took about four years for things to unfold. And one verse that God had given me, which has a lot to do with this, is uh, Proverbs 4.18. And, you know, he just made it so real for our situation. And it says, um, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter as the day goes on. Mm. And, uh, you know... It's like you don't know what's going to happen next and you, you, you can't see the next step, but the day has to go on for it to light up. In other words, you have to keep moving forward and you have mm-hmm. to keep, you know, like you said, patiently enduring in order to, for God to reveal the next thing. But you have to stay faithful, you know, and the righteous is the key, you know, the righteous, the path of the righteous. So you have to stay centered in God's will in being faithful in your what you're doing right now you can't you know think that you're only going to fulfill your your calling or your righteousness when you're doing your ministry or when you're finally where you're where you think you should be you know to be faithful and righteous where you are you know what were some of the incremental steps that you took? So when I, I mean by that, a small steps that you took uh, in those five years that led you to starting the charity and actually getting boots on the ground. What were some of those moments? Because I feel like sometimes what happens is people say, you know what, it's all or nothing. So, you know, if I, this is going to happen, I'm just going to go all out and I've got to have a charitable status, I've got to have a charity registered, I've got to do all of this, um, or else I'm doing nothing, right? Um, But sometimes there's these little steps that God makes you take in the process. And and it's almost like you're obedient to one, and then he opens the next. And then it's a process. Was that how it was for you guys in those five years before you actually started the charity? Well, in the in the first couple of years, I think it was just a matter of healing and soul searching, um, trying to figure just just really trying to figure out why that happened and why are we starting again and where is God in all of this and just rebuilding to our just our own I think family marriage uh, just trying to make a better foundation. I think one of the things I realized, too, is that maybe we were not strong enough where we needed to be, either in our marriage and our spiritual life, to be living in a place like that. Because another thing is Congo is a very dark place with a lot of, you know, a lot of demonic activity. And, um, you know, people had told us, you know, people that know Africa, they would say, you know, you have to be ready. I think that was part of the preparation now too. It was almost like those five or at least the first couple of years, two, three years was kind of like learning, you know, what we, where we should be and what we should have maybe done to prepare ourselves better. And then, 
then it was starting more to plant in our hearts. I mean, we were doing small group. We've always done, we've always been small group leaders. So we did that. And we always had really fun, successful small groups with tons of people, you know, with tons of kids in our house. We'd have like 12 adults and 20 kids or something every week. Uh, so we did that and you know, we're just kind of focusing on that type of thing or, you know, maybe I was doing the dance ministry or, you know, just being involved where we are. It wasn't really like we were focusing on what's the next step for this. We were not really thinking about it too much, but, you know, I think it was in 2008, 2009, so like three, four years later when I kind of felt that pulling to back to Congo and, we always kind of knew like this wasn't for nothing. We're going to do something in Congo, but it wasn't really clear. And so it was like around 2008 and 2009 was our 10th wedding anniversary. And we said, let's do something. And I really want to go to Congo by myself. You know, I want to go do some research and figure out what our ministry should look like. You know, let's, let's try to raise money for that. And so we asked friends that came to our, our anniversary party to donate. And so that's how, the next step happened. Wow. wow. And what was that? So tell us, tell us where you went from there. So you took the trip, you did some research and what was the first sort of actual uh, hands on thing that you guys started doing there? Well, that trip was just, you know, going and seeing was really the terrible need and just filming and taking photos. And it was really crazy. Sometimes I was by myself, but Lombell's father met me there and, uh, you know, it just opened my eyes to the true need. And the biggest need for me is the the orphans, you know, the most vulnerable. And seeing people living on the streets with babies and being raped every day and things like that, it was just so upsetting. And I just knew I, I have to do something, you know, I, I, we have to do something. So it was also in that time, too, that I just, what I, when I, the fact that I hated Congo for a long time, <laughs> And then I'm there and I actually feel love for the place was really a clear indication that that's how God is telling us that that's where we need to be. You know, it was really like falling in love, you know, I just love this place. You know, it's like, I, you know, when you love someone, you can't see their faults anymore. (laughs) And I just couldn't see anything wrong. I just love it. I love even the stinky smells and even the, the crazy chaos and the filth and every, all the frustrations, I just embraced it. And I would get off the plane every time after that and just like inhale this terrible smell (laughs) and then just like be like crying because I just know that's where I want to be. So that's how God showed, showed me anyway. I mean, all those things that was part of it. And then when we came, I came back, I stood up, at church and told everybody about it. And one person walked up to me after I got off the stage and he said, I want to help you do this. And that couple, uh, joined our board and actually paid for the whole charitable registration. And we got it really quickly. So we became a nonprofit in March, 2010. And then it became a charity in July, 2010, which was really quick. Normally it could take much longer, especially for Africa. Mm -hmm. The government doesn't, you know, necessarily trust. And um, we just started from there doing little fundraisers. And we started by helping a pastor who was there because we weren't living there yet. So we couldn't go and actually build anything and manage anything. So a pastor who I had met on that short trip that I took in 2009, 
had kids sleeping on benches with no shelter. And so we started by building shelter for them. And, uh, and so we moved there. And that's like, that part was when God started to really speak to us about we're living for this house that we live in, you know, we're working super hard to pay for this mortgage to constantly stress about what if there's something that goes wrong? Oh no, something leaked or, you know, that kind of feeling where you just kind of living your life for your, your expenses, your bills. And, uh, you're like, this is not God's will, you know? And, uh, we just really felt, we had, you know, some words, some verses and felt strongly we should put the house on the market, even though we had no clue how we would get back to Congo because it's so expensive to go so many kids. Now we had four and, uh, we put it on the market and, uh, and everything worked out. And my husband got offered a job that paid our tickets and our container. Wow. Yeah. They created a position for him. So it was just so clear that it was God's will. And that was good because I needed that when I was going through a lot of trouble <laughs> to remember that, this was actually God's will, you know? And so going the second time now, you were clear and sure that there was a specific thing God wanted you to accomplish um, in the Congo. Yeah. Okay. And what was, what was that like? So, I mean, today, I know we talked before we went on the air, we talked about uh, the three homes that you have, the children there, the mothers that you care for. Uh, what was the journey specifically? Um, we've just got a couple of minutes, but what was the journey specifically uh, t- in getting to that place? And I'm talking about, you know, how did you get that first home going? How did you get those first kids off the street? Uh, what was that journey towards that? Well, it started just with helping people where they were. So, you know, a widow, God would just bring people my way. And you see a, a, a widow with children and they kids are not in school and, you know, that type of thing, solve their problem, you know, try to find, okay, let's put the kids in school. Let's get you guys some beds. Oh, you need a bigger house, that type of thing. Um, and then I started to find out that there were babies being thrown away and abandoned and things like that. So... At that point, I spoke to the board. I said, I know that our goal is to start this village right away. Because that was our original plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, To have like a multifunctional village with a school and a clinic and houses and a farm. Which is still our dream. Um, But, uh, you know, I had to meet an immediate need. And so the board was on board with that idea. And so we went and I found a little house. And it was $500 a month. And just rented it with no kids just because I knew that we had to meet this need. And within the first day, I think, I think the day after we opened it, I got a call that there's a baby, you know, a newborn that was thrown away with her umbilical cord in the garbage. And that's how it all started. Yeah. And I was like, I was so glad because I was nursing my twins. I had twins now who were babies at the time. And um, I was able to breastfeed all these newborns that were coming, you know, cause they were searching for their, their mom, you know, and it was just like my instinct was to, to nurse them. And so I really, it was such a special time with all these babies. We got eight babies in the first eight weeks. Wow. And that's how it all started. Mm-hmm. Wow. And now you've had, um, you were telling us uh, over 60 babies that have gone through the, the homes uh, at yeah. one point or another. Um, which is, uh, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cheryl, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, if people want 
to know what's happening uh, with the village right now and um, uh, where things are at and also how they can get in touch with you and uh, get more information about what you guys are doing. Uh, Why don't you just talk to our listeners about what's happening right now? What are some of your major needs and, uh, and basically Mm -hmm. find you on uh, online? Okay. Well, we're, we're, we just opened our third home um, in another village. So we're really expanding because of the need, but we need obviously the finances that support this need. You know, I had um, our, our executive director from the United States there. She just came back about a week or so ago. And she said that she cried the whole way back to Alabama because there were so many needs that we can't meet. And there's so much suffering that we can't help with. You know, we just can't do it all. And there's no one else in the country that's doing it. So we obviously need people to come alongside us and in any way. It could be financially. We have sponsorship programs. It could be by organizing a little event or sharing it or, you know, just getting their kids' school on board or their church. Um and so we have a website. It's uh, moanavillages.org. So moana means child, and it's spelled M-W-A-N-A, villages.org. And we have an Instagram page, which is great because it's most, you know, the most news almost every day that we post something. So, and uh, we have a Facebook page as well. So Moana Villages for all of them. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm available. I can be reached through that through those uh, Instagram or Facebook pages. And um, I'm definitely available to talk to people, try to get some Ontarians on board here too. Tell <laughs> and us anybody else about, in the tell world. Us, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your U.S. ministry. How did that come about? How did you branch into the U.S.? We had a couple from Alabama who contacted us and wanted to adopt uh, two children. And uh, because they had gone through uh, an adoption process in the DRC, the other Congo, which turned out to be unethical. And when they found out about Moana, they realized like our values are very ethical and, we, you know, we focus on family preservation. And so they were on board either way, whether we chose them to adopt or not. And they have an amazing video. It's called uh, The Bridger's Adoption and it's on Vimeo. So if anyone wants to check it out, it's really beautiful. It's a five minute video. And um, so once that they started Moana as a 501c3 in the States and we just opened France. We have an adoptive mom in France and um, some other volunteers who were living in Congo who are back in France who now have started a board and now Moana is an organization in France as well. So you're in three countries now supporting the work in the Congo. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, yeah. Cheryl, you I know. are an inspiration. Uh, and I think um, I, I believe that everyone that listens to this podcast is going to be encouraged uh, just having heard your story and your journey from a, a teen mom standing at a bus stop uh, to uh, a woman that is running a ministry that is literally impacting uh the lives of uh, so many, many, many children and helping so many mothers. Um, Mm -hmm. And as we were saying before we went on the air, only heaven knows the destiny and the calling and the potential of each of those children that have, Mm -hmm. that you're either caring for today or that have gone through the the ministry and have found homes and uh, what will 
what will become of them and what their story will be. Um, you know, the Lord knows, but, uh, but I, I imagine it would be incredible. It will be incredible. And so yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. Uh, we appreciate uh, your ministry, your work, and to all of our listeners, please, please, please get a hold of uh, the information. Uh, it'll be in the show notes as well and get in touch with Cheryl Walker and, uh, and get behind what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Emily, I thought that was a powerful podcast. And mm-hmm. Cheryl Walker's story is so inspirational when it comes to stepping into the unknown and just going for it and trusting that God will make a way. Yeah, it's amazing. Also, I I think of, you know, the way that you start doesn't have to be how you finish. Mm -hmm. And so how she just, she kind of had this rough beginning in a sense, but was able to really um, press through and be able to go, you know what, I have a purpose and a call uh, despite this. And, And even just kind of that year that they were like, and they went, they tried it out, things didn't work. And so many people may have said, okay, nope, that's it. That wasn't meant for us. But she just kept this desire and call that God had placed in her life early on. She overcame certain obstacles as a family they did. And now God's using them in a powerful way. And it's just really an encouragement to our listeners to go, you know, sometimes we we have this call and purpose or we maybe see it or we get a glimpse of it or there's this desire burning in our heart. And, you know, sometimes it just takes time and sometimes it's in a different season but to just keep pressing through that patient endurance and God's got a purpose and a call for everybody and it's incredible to see the work that they're doing and you know I was so inspired when she said you know they have offices now or organizations now uh, in three different Mm -hmm. countries you know Mm -hmm. and it's just when you take that one step of faith you know I always I go back in my mind to that moment she stood at the church and shared her testimony and Mm -hmm. that first person that came and said hey I want to help you fulfill this and yeah. uh, she said that was you know he ended up getting on their board and and so obviously from there in the last few years God's done some great things so friends I want to encourage you mm-hmm. if there's a dream in your heart take a step of faith yeah and God will work everything out uh, for the good but also to fulfill his purpose and his mission for your life. With that, we're going to wrap up today's podcast. Friends, remember, we're running our Easter special for Missional.Academy. April 4th is the deadline. So head on over to Missional.Academy and uh, pick a course that you want to receive for free and send us an email to info at passiontoreach.com. Do it before April 4th, midnight, and you'll receive that course for free. Thanks again for tuning in to this podcast. Remember, you can always uh, check us out online at passiontoreach.com. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Mission Connect. Join us next week. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.